God is good. And all the time. Amen. Well, this is Thanksgiving week. You know, I had a great idea. Wouldn't it be great if we just forgot the turkey and just fasted today? I won't do that. This might be my last sermon. It is always so good to be with you. And this is a great looking crowd. Uh, I could see as better if the lights weren't blinding me, but uh, when I get done speaking, I'll have dots in front of my eyes, but that's okay. I'm just glad that Yins are here today, and it is a glorious day. It's a glorious day. Uh, you know, any day you wake up and realize that God has sustained you through the night, He kept your heart beating and your, lung, your lungs working and, and everything working inside of your body that needs to be there to keep you going, and you wake up and you're able to get up on your feet. What a blessing. We just take so much for granted, don't we? The ability to see. The other day I went out and I saw the most beautiful, most incredible blue sky. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that. Just the ability to see. I wake up, I get up in the morning and go outside and take three deep breaths of fresh air that God has provided for us around this planet. There's plants that you can't do that on, but you can do it here because God put that in our atmosphere. What a good God we have. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8. You know the Bible says that when God began creating, the first thing that God said after he, after he created this world, he says, let there be light. And the scripture says, and there was light. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, Jesus comes born we're coming to Christmas. Jesus, born of a, of a virgin. And he is the light and the life of humanity, isn't he? If you look at our text from John chapter 8, 12 through 20, we're going to read about that light. And, and we're going to be thankful for the light that's coming to our world today. But in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12, if you would read along with me. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and know and where I am going, but you do not where I know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of, of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself. And the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would, not, you would know my Father also. And then verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the light that has come into our world. 
Lord, were it not for Jesus being our light, we, like all people in this world, would be seated in darkness. But Father, you place the light of life in our hearts. Father, we did not come after you, but Father, while we fled from you, you pursued us. And you offer to us eternal life, the light of the world, your son Jesus, whose name we pray, amen. I want to begin this message by going back and looking again at, at verse 12. It says, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. One commentator has put it this way. This is his quote. Light is the most general and most adequate manifestation of divine operation in a world which apart from it is chaos and darkness. Folks, we have people living in a broken, chaotic world. And if you don't believe that, then you need to just for a moment turn on any news station. And you see how broken we are. We have people criticizing people, hurting people, making judgments about people that may or may not be true. We have a, a country that has become divisive based on ethnicity. We have a country that is, for, for some reason, that, that this group feels that they're right, and this group feels that they're right, and that group feels that they're right. But folks... Do you realize that in Jesus Christ, there's neither male nor female, white or black, uh, 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 short or tall, smart or not so smart? That in the kingdom of God, that we are all one, we are all created in the image of God. That's who we are. We're not to be divided, we're to be united. United in purpose, united in the spirit, united in mind, united in heart, but we live in a broken world. Have you ever given any thought as to the effects of light in a world that is hidden in brokenness and darkness? First, it is the source of life. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes eleven seven: the light is pleasant. And it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Here he is saying that light is to be identified with having the pleasures of life. I can remember as a, as a young boy. I don't, know, I don't think people do this anymore. But do some of you remember, maybe you did this yourself. You would go into the grocery store or, or hardware store or whatever. And, and guys especially would start whistling. You remember Anybody ever remember doing that? Let me see your hands. You remember just whistling in the stores. Nobody did that? Is that just from Pennsylvania? Just one person? Maybe it was just us from southwestern Pennsylvania that did that. But you walk in and, and you just start whistling and you, because you were happy. You are filled with peace. And one time, not too many years ago, but a few years ago, I, was, I went to a store and I was whistling. And one lady said to me, she says, you know, she says, my dad used to do that all the time. We don't hear that anymore. Has, has the joy of the day escaped us? 
Is there nothing that we could be thankful about anymore? Do we have to just kind of watch over our backs, make sure no, make, make sure no one's going to hit us over the head? There's a Disney movie that came out in 1946. Maybe some of you remember it. <laughs> the Song of the South. It was an Oscar winner. The Song of the South. You need to remember the words of this song because life is pleasant when you're in Jesus. Listen. Listen to these words. They're theologically great. zippity doo <laughs> Zippity-A. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine heading my way. zippity doo Zippity-A. Where's the sunshine in your life? I mean, has Christianity become that boring to us? Oh, man. You know, folks, doesn't Paul say that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory? Where's the thankfulness? Where's the joy? King David writes in Psalm 36, 9, he says, in your light, we see light. This simply means that humanity is at its best when God's light shines upon us. We ought to be at our best. People ought to look at us and say, man, that person knows Jesus. I could tell just by looking at her or him. The second thing about light, light brings order to a world. As dawn appears, as daybreak comes, day by day, with regularity, so light is the original cause of all order. In Genesis 1-3, I just quoted that. God says, let there be light, and there was light. 1 Timothy 6-16 tells us that God's dwelling place is to, is to be identified with light. Who alone, the scripture says, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. This light, this brightness, this heavenly glory is something that we as people are unable to dwell in. If we lived in just a little bit of light, I don't mean this kind of light, but the light that's in the heart. If we lived in the light that is in our hearts, we would be a different, we would be a different nation. We would be walking down the streets with glory in us. Every man Every woman would be our neighbor, would be our friend. But we live in a broken world. And the light has become dim. Let your light shine, folks. Let your light shine. Were it not for God's decreed will, Were it not for God's decreed will, we would all, we would all still be living without any spark of God at all within us. We as humans, we have no divine spark. Our nature is fallen, depraved, separate from God. 
But then, but then comes Jesus. Then comes Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Is that light living in you, my friends? Let me add this. The idea of light is used in the New Testament to tell us of the fact that it is only through God's divine revelation that we have been made aware of Christ's redemptive work. Do you know that that was a mystery? That was a secret? That was, that was a secret of the ages. That was a mystery to people. Until the New Testament comes along. Until Jesus is born, is crucified, and raised again. That redemptive work of Christ was a mystery to people. But God revealed that to us in the person of His Son. The life of faith which God has granted to us is only ours on the basis of God's enlightening us. We don't enlighten ourselves. God enlightens us. You are God's candle bearers. You are the lights that are in this world today. You are God's ambassadors. You are God's messengers. You are God's faithful people. You are the household of faith. God has chosen you to be the church. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So now we come to our text in 8.12. That was just the beginning, folks. That was my opening. Jesus, in verse 12, makes this stunning declaration. He says, I am the light of the world. Of course, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, were, were familiar with the content of, his pas of this passage. By the way, that's, that's not new to Jesus. That was, that was hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. Isaiah 49, 6 God speaking to Isaiah says this, It is too small a thing that you, that's speaking about Jesus, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light. Listen, I will make you, Jesus, I will make you a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah wrote that about 750 years before Jesus came on the scene. God had a plan. God had a plan to save you guys and me. And God has a plan even today to save more people. And it is our job. It is our job. It is our task that we be channels that God uses to bring this lost, broken world to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I tell you, I'm excited about this coming Christmas Eve. And as many people as I see here this morning, I pray that we have double this many for Christmas Eve, 6.30 and 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> Guys, ladies, Christmas, listen, you're not going to find the greatest gift under the tree. 
And you won't find him on a cross. And you won't find him in a grave. But you'll find him in a throne of glory. And folks, we ought to be here. The church ought to be here. Let your light so shine among the people of this world that they will know that you're God's disciples. Well, I hope I can, I hope I'm going to see every one of you here. Jesus tells all those who are listening to him, perhaps those who only a moment earlier, just a short while earlier, were so eager to execute judgment of death to a woman taken in adultery. Remember that? These are the same people. They're getting ready to stone a lady. He tells of the consequence upon those who would follow him. You know, there's a consequence when you follow Jesus. Let me tell you what that consequence is. To them or to those, he would be like a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire as it was in the time of Israel's journey in the wilderness. Wouldn't you want God, the Son of God, the creator, the agent of creation of all that exists in all this universe, wouldn't you want him to be a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to lead you and guide you and direct you when things are tumbling in on you? Wouldn't you want him to be your rescuer? To those people, he to them will be a light who will never lead them into darkness. There's a song that a guy by the name of Andre Crouch wrote about 50 years ago. I, I changed it from the singular to the plural because I think it pertains to this church. Let us thank him for the mountains. And thank him for the valleys. And thank him for the storms he's led us through. For if we never had a problem, we'd never know that God could solve them. We'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, we've learned to trust in Jesus. We've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, we've learned to depend upon his word. Church, we have been through some things. But I want to tell you this, in order, listen, God leads us through valleys so that we can experience the tops of the mountains. You can't reach the mountain until you pass through the valley. You can't, listen, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you realize that sometimes we got to go through some things in order to get to somewhere? That's you, every one of us. No one said life is easy, but you don't have to walk life alone. To us, Jesus will be and is the light that produces life. The Jews counter Jesus' claims and ask, by whose testimony or whose witness can you make such a claim? They say, in essence, in, in, in the verse, actually, in verse 13, your testimony isn't true. You're testifying about yourself. I want you to take a look at verse 15. This is you and me. Verse 15 says, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. That's what Jesus says. What Jesus says here is something that we should take note of. It is not only those who opposed Jesus 2,000 years ago, 
But we today are also guilty of the same error. We make judgments. We make judgments. Listen, we make judgments based on human standards. What is the societal norm? And we make our judgment on that. Or as the scripture plainly states, we make our judgments according to the flesh. Folks, listen. Judgment according to the flesh is the judgment given by a fallen, self-willed, depraved heart and mind. In short, there is no controlling influence of God's Spirit directing the judgment made. And you'll find that to be true in, in, in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We're so ready to make a judgment on people. Because every one of us carry with us this baggage called a bias or prejudice. And we carry it with us. And God says, crucify that thing. But everybody, you know, we got this, we got this idea that the church ought to be homogeneous. That we ought to look the same, smell the same, act the same. Now, I could understand why you'd want to look like me. <laughs> or maybe you wouldn't. <laughs> In our diversity, there must be unity. Because what unites us is not ethnicity. What unites us is the blood of Jesus Christ. We have Christ's blood thrown, flown through our veins. That's what unites us. What was going on in our text in verse, in chapter John 8, was that certain religious folks called Pharisees were making a judgment concerning the, the, the authenticity of Jesus. And they, and they had no spiritual basis upon which to make their judgment. In a word, these folks were just living in the dark. They were in the dark about who Jesus was. You know, we've got folks in this, in this world who are living in the dark. Even though Christ has come and he's the light of the world, there are people living in the dark. You know, somebody needs to flip on the switch. Come January... Come January, because I'm already working on this, and we've been talking about it. Some I've been talking about some folks. We are going to have, we are going to have a class on how to share Jesus, a class on evangelization. I need you guys to be here, guys and gals. I need you all to be here. Be here. Let's let's learn how to flip on the switch. Just like the song says, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Folks, people will not see the light until, listen, until we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. We cannot save anybody. That's God's job. We cannot regenerate anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we need to be messengers. We're called to be messengers. Of who the light is. Have you ever heard someone say to you. Oh, you shouldn't judge anyone. You shouldn't be judging anyone. We, we hear that a lot these days. You shouldn't judge me. Take a look at yourself. They'll say. Take a look at yourself. 
Well, I'll tell you, I've taken a hard look at myself, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm not so impressed. However, Jesus, in this verse, does not say that he won't judge in any sense of the word, but his main mission in coming to this world was not to judge and condemn people, but to seek and to save people. We read in John 3, 17, for God, you know, we, we all know John 3, 16. Man, everybody knows John 3, 16. But you know what John 3, 17 says? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We're, we're so eager to quote 316, but what about 317? Jesus came into this world that the world might be saved through him. And you know what, folks? The way Jesus works, he uses people, just ordinary people, people just like you and I. He uses those kinds of people. As we come to verses 17 through 19 in our text, something very interesting in, in both the tone and scope of this dialogue between Jesus and the Jewish leaders takes place. Jesus, in verse 17, establishes the validity of the law when he speaks of the need for two witnesses. You know, that's part of the Mosaic law. You've got to have two witnesses. These witnesses are sufficient upon which to determine a verdict. In Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6, the Mosaic law, which God gave to Moses, is given, and it says this, on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. You've got to have two or three, it says. Okay? In the New Testament, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16 says, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that and then Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 19.15, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. There's something about having two or three people together as a witness to verify a fact. That, that the testimony, that the witness will be true if there's two or three witnesses. Now we come to where I ask you the big question. Where are Jesus' two or three witnesses? Where are they? He's making a statement about himself, but where's his witnesses? Does the Old Testament law not apply to him? Is he choosing to opt out of any need to have witnesses? What do you think? The answer is found, by the way, in verse 18. Let's look at that. Verse 18 says, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now, let me say something about this verse. If you have a King James Version Bible, and you brought it with you today, you know, if I can just... Let me just chase this one rabbit. You know, when you chase a rabbit and you catch it, you know it's going to be good eating, right? Every Bible, every Bible should be read. Not R-E-D, but R-E-A-D. Every Bible should be read, okay? The King James 
has it exactly right in this one verse. If you have a King James Bible, the text that is given in this verse is quoted exactly as, as was intended. And this is what King James says. I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. That is, I am one, and my Father is two. I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father, two, that sent me bears witness of me. What we're looking at here is something that exists in a purely spiritual or divine dimension or matter. In light of Jesus' claim of deity, there is no other witness in human terms possible. Who in the world could be a witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Name the man or the woman that exists that could claim that witness. No human witness can at that, at that time could give credibility to the divine relationship Jesus had with the Father. Now then, now then, things do change after the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want to read you something from the first letter of John's epistle, chapter 1. Let me read for you uh, just about three verses here. The apostle John writes, 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That means that they had empirical evidence that Jesus Christ was real. They touched him. They heard him. They looked at him. They sat down and had breakfast and lunch and supper with him, whatever. They rode in a boat with him. They laughed with him. They cried with him. And they watched him die. What was from the beginning, what we've seen, what we heard with our eyes, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And then it says in verse 2, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus, I know we're coming into Christmas, but folks, you've got to look at the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is absolute, total proof positive that Jesus Christ is God. There's no, no human being ever that did what Jesus did at the tomb. Never. It'll never happen again either until Jesus. When the trump sounds, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are alive will meet him in the air, and we will be with him forever. Then we will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And every person, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God.
And by the way, if you want three witnesses, because he says two or three, to attest to, the, uh, to this father-son relationship, we have in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 19.15, New Testament, in Matthew 18.16, which speaks of having three confirming a fact. So then, who would these three be but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? In 1 John 5, 9, it says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is that He has testified concerning His Son. Now, you may be saying to yourselves, we're coming to a close here. Listen, the airplane's on, 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 on a final leg here. You may be saying to yourself, where is the testimony of the Father and the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus? Do you remember way back, way back in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John. And Jesus says, and it says in Matthew 3, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father's there, the Spirit is there. Listen, friends, I want to ask you, and I close today, I want to ask you this one final question. Are you pleased with Jesus? Are you pleased with Jesus? If you have never had a relationship with Christ, folks, I'm going to tell you this right now. Not because I want you to join this church. This church, I'm, this church ain't going to save you. This church has nothing to do about saving anybody. Walking down the south ain't going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you right now is the Holy Spirit doing a work in your life. If you are without Christ today, you realize that you are a sinner and you are in need of, of the light of God coming into your life. And you want, that, you want that light of God, Jesus, the Son of God, to remove that, that sin that separates you from God, to take away that sin and fill that life with the glory and the light of Christ. If you want that for yourself today, folks, listen, we're going to have a time for you to respond to this. Because you coming down here, this green carpet don't do anything for you getting saved. But you coming down, what you're saying to these people out here is, listen, I want everybody to know here that I met Jesus today.